few weeks ago, I shared with you about the person who led me to faith in Jesus. I was 12 years old. His name was Winston. He was a carpenter by trade during the day, but that week he was teaching Vacation Bible School, which is a Bible club for kids. I was in Lake Park, Georgia, Corinth Baptist Church, and my family were not church-going kind of people. Uh, so whenever the church sent a bus around our community the Saturday before that Vacation Bible School began and said, we're going to be picking up boys and girls and taking them to church. Would you like your child to go? My parents said, absolutely. Uh, and I think it was more to get me out of the house for a week uh, at night rather than my spiritual well-being. But during that week, uh, Winston Yingling was my teacher. And he led me to faith in Jesus Christ, he and his wife, Becky. Winston is now with Christ, but I'm eternally grateful that God used him to share the love of Jesus Christ with me. And you know, we sometimes think that only pastors and preachers and evangelists and missionaries have the capacity of helping another person come to faith in Jesus Christ. But when you look in scripture and you look in church history, God has primarily used ordinary, everyday people to tell the gospel, to share the love of Christ, to introduce other people to faith in Jesus. And there are millions of Christians who have lived for the last 2,000 years whose names will never be recorded in the annals of history. We don't know their names, but there are people in heaven today because of their godly influence. And the reason I say that is because I believe with all of my heart that God wants to use each one of you to help introduce someone to faith in Jesus Christ. You may have just a small part of that and never see the results of it, but you were faithful to do your part and God uses others to do their part. Or maybe God uses you and you see that person come to faith in Christ like Winston saw me come to faith in Jesus Christ. But regardless of what you do and how you do it and the opportunities, God wants to use you to introduce other people to Jesus. And we know that that sounds hard and it sounds scary, but it doesn't have to be. In fact, we have discovered a simple acrostic that other churches have used that we think is very powerful to help us just reorient our thinking of what it means to make it easier for someone to put their faith in Jesus. And it's the acrostic BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. -S. It's not original to me. I didn't come up with this, but when I first read it, I thought that is powerful because it's simple. And we began this series last week where we're unpacking each one of these movements in the acrostic for BLESS. B, if you recall, stands for begin with prayer. If you want to make it easier for someone to put their faith in Jesus Christ, then begin with prayer. And I don't know if we have those on the screen, but if we do, we can put the B-L-E-S-S -S there. Uh, so B stands for begin with prayer. L stands for listen with care. And that's what we're going to talk about today in the message. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8 in just a moment, verses 26 and following. So begin with prayer, listen with care, and then E stands for eat together. That means you can't do this quickly. You're going to have to spend time with people, build relationships with people, get to know people, enjoy hanging out with people. Maybe you, the E, is not eat together. Maybe it's exercise together. Uh, no, it's, it's eat. Yeah, that's right. No, it's, it's eat. Let's just be honest. It's eat together. That's right. 
And so we want to hang out with people because this is not about using people and manipulating people. This is about truly getting to know people and truly caring about them, regardless if they believe like we believe or not. So begin with prayer, listen with care, eat together. And then the first S in the word bless reminds us to serve with love. Whenever you see a need in that person's life, serve them, meet that need. Do something good because you love God and you love them. And then if you do those things, God's going to give you the opportunity to share your story. Your story of how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you may have a lot of questions about those, but that's what this series is going to hopefully answer. But today I want to talk to you about listening with care. What does that mean to listen with care? Take your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Because here we discover a man named Philip, whom God used to introduce other people to faith in Jesus. And Philip was an unlikely hero in the gospel story of Christ. Because the first time we meet Philip, he is chosen out from among the Christians to be a deacon in the church. The word deacon means a servant, and the the pastors, the apostles, were busy in prayer and preaching and teaching the Word of God, and they didn't have as much time to meet all the practical needs of the growing congregation. So they said, choose out from among you men full of the Holy Spirit, men who are faithful, men who believe in God, men who are doing good things, and just put them over the work of caring for the practical needs of the congregation. By the way, that's always a biblical principle. I cannot do everything for 2,000 plus members of our church. I'm sorry, I can't. I wish I could. I love being a pastor. I love serving. I love being alongside of people. But my job is to equip people, to call out people, to come alongside of me and to help me shoulder the load of caring uh, of caring for the people in our church. And by the way, the, 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 the ministry of a deacon is still active. We have, we have a few deacons in our church. And be honest with you, we need many more. And maybe God's calling some of our men here today to serve as a deacon in the church, to say, I'm going to be a co-laborer with my pastor. If there are some hospital visits that need to be made, let me help make them. If there are people in the nursing homes who need to be cared for, if there are widows who need to be ministered to and checked on, Let me help the pastor do that ministry. And our deacons do a lot more than just that. They prepare communion and serve you. They do baptisms and help get all that organized. So contact me at the office if you are interested in serving as a deacon. But that's when we first meet Philip in Acts chapter 6. He's he's a deacon. He's a servant in the church. But little did anyone know that in just a, a little period of time, God will send him to... Uh, Samaria, and he will actually share the gospel where the whole city almost comes to faith in Jesus. I mean, it is a revival. He, he is sharing the gospel, and many people are coming to faith in Christ. And then God does something. God takes Philip away from that big citywide revival in Samaria, and he says, I'm going to send you out into the desert. What? God, I'm doing a great work here, reaching the multitudes for Christ. But Philip is about to discover that God is not just simply interested in the multitudes. 
He's also interested in the single people, just a one-on-one encounter with someone that needs Jesus. And God uses a divine appointment in Philip's life to perfectly position him in the life of another person to introduce that person to Jesus. And I believe that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to take our everyday activities and use them as divine appointments to put us in touch with people who are looking for answers and we can help them know who Jesus is and then leave the rest up to God. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the book of Acts is simply a history of the early church. Christ has been crucified, buried. He has risen from the dead. He has appeared for 40 days to over 500 people alive. Many of those people will die martyrs' deaths because they would not stop telling everyone, we've seen Jesus alive. That'll change your life, by the way, if you see a person come back from the dead physically alive. That'll change your life. And that changed their lives. And they went all over telling people about Jesus. And they got persecuted and hurt as a result of it. And so Luke, one of those Christians in the first century, wrote an historical account of the life of Jesus. We call it the Gospel of Luke. And then he continued in his second volume to write an historical account of the church after Jesus went back to heaven. We call that the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. And so here in Luke chapter, here in Acts chapter 8, Luke tells us about this encounter that Philip has with one person who needs Jesus. And if this is instructive to you, there may be some notes you want to take. These are on our website, fcbc.life, but I'll throw them up on the screen as well. First of all, if you want to listen with care, start by listening to the leading of the Lord in your life. Listen for the leading of the Lord in your life. As a follower of Jesus, God will direct you. He will guide you. He will nudge you. He will use circumstances in your life. He will use those things other people call coincidences in your life to help you discover his will for your life. And start, if you want to listen with care, by listening for the leading of the Lord in your life. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And Luke tells us this is a desert place. What a strange command. But Philip is so sensitive to the leading of the Lord in his life that he recognizes the appearance of an angel saying to him, I want you to leave this big city where you're having a citywide revival and people are getting saved that others never thought would come to faith in Jesus. And I want you to go to the road that leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And I know it's a desert place, but that's where God is now sending you. And Philip is sensitive to the nudging of the Lord, to the leading of the Lord. And maybe you say, well, if an angel appeared to me, I would get it. I would certainly be willing to follow. So I'm just going to sit here and wait until an angel appears to me, and then I will go and witness to another person. Well, if that's your thought, you've missed the point. The point is not so much about the angel. It's about Philip's availability and Philip's sensitivity to the leading of the Lord. God doesn't always send angels. In fact, God's done something far greater for you than he did for Philip. God's given you a completed New Testament. 
You don't have to wonder, what is God's will? Does God want me to share my faith about Jesus with other people? Does God really want to use me to introduce someone else to Jesus? You've got a whole completed New Testament that tells you God's will for you is to help introduce other people to Christ. And Philip is listening to the leading of the Lord. And God is saying to Philip, I'm getting you out of your comfort zone in the big city of Samaria where you're having great success and I'm sending you on a deserted road out into the desert in the wilderness and I've got a plan for you. I've got a job for you. Philip goes, why? Why would you want me to leave this? Why would you take me out of my comfort zone? God, why would you take me from this when it seems to be working? It's because God is not simply interested in the large crowds. He's also interested in that lone traveler whom Philip has yet to meet, but who needs Jesus. And Christian, I'm going to tell you something. We should stop being shocked when God's will often pushes us out of our comfort zone for the purpose of introducing other people to Jesus Christ. Our church has been amazingly willing and unified in getting out of our comfort zone in order to introduce other people to Jesus Christ. It should not shock us that in the kingdom of God, there actually are no comfort zones. The one we follow, the Lord Jesus Christ, went to a bloody cross. And he says, if you want to come after me, you take up your cross and follow me. Living for me and introducing other people to me will not always make sense. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's sometimes going to take something new and different from what you're used to. And it may seem like this is working, but I've got another plan. And you're going to have to trust me. And you're going to have to follow me. And one day you're going to look back. And you're going to be able to say, I see what God was doing now. And I'm so grateful I was willing to get out of my comfort zone. And from what I was familiar with. And what seemed to be working for so long. And obey God. Even when it wasn't understandable or easy. Verse 27 And he rose and went. I love that. When God leads, you follow. And he he gets up and he goes. Verse 27 continues. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Little did Philip know when God led him out of the great city of Samaria where he was having great success in introducing people to Jesus that God was up to something good, that God had a divine appointment scheduled for Philip to meet an Ethiopian eunuch who was the finance minister under the queen of Ethiopia. God knew, but Philip didn't know. Philip just obeyed. He knew enough about God to say, when God calls, I'm to follow. And I'm not to make excuses. I'm to trust that God knows what he's doing. And he meets this Ethiopian. Now, the Ethiopia of the first century is not to be confused with the Ethiopia of our day. The Ethiopia that is mentioned here is oftentimes referred to as the kingdom of Cush. C-U-S-H in the Old Testament. It is about... Four miles east of the, uh, it's on the eastern banks of the Nile River, about four miles east of what is modern day Sudan. 
And this was a culture of black people. A rich, storied, historic culture. In many ways, an advanced culture. And the people of Cush, the people of Ethiopia, as they were known then, were well known to people all over the Roman Empire. In fact, the kings of Cush were were called the children of the sun god, the S-U-N god. But really, the power did not lie with the king. It was with the queen mothers who were called Candace, C-A-N-D-A-C-E. Candace became their name, but it was also their title. And really, it was the queen who had the power in the kingdom. And this Ethiopian eunuch serves the queen. He's in charge of her treasury. So more than likely, he is a high official, and he has a big entourage with him on this desert road, going back from Jerusalem, the 60-mile journey to his home. And we're told he was a eunuch. Now, we won't get into all that this morning, of what that means and how that happened. Uh, But let's just say in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, It's not a verse you'll ever see anybody crochet and hang up on the wall. Uh, It's not anybody's life verse, but it has something to say about a eunuch if if there's been some cutting or some crushing. Uh, So we don't know how this guy became a eunuch. Often, little boys were made eunuchs so that they could be placed over the harems of the king or the queen and be placed in positions of trust. This guy is physically a eunuch. And he is in charge of the treasury of Candace the queen. But why had he gone to Jerusalem? What in the world is this guy from a pagan culture? A culture that worships the sun. What is he doing in Jerusalem? Well, it says he had come to Jerusalem to worship. He wasn't a Jew. But somehow he heard about the God of the Jews. The one true living God, Yahweh who keeps covenant with his people. And by the Spirit of God, he was drawn to God. And he wanted to know more about God. He had found his pagan gods lacking and empty. And he was drawn to the one true living God. And he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship. The problem was in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, being a eunuch, he was forbidden to enter into the assembly of the Jewish people. Because of his defect. So all he could do was go to Jerusalem. Buy a scroll. Of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And watch from a distance. Separated by the barrier of culture. And separated by the barrier of the Old Testament law. But he could, got, he could not get any closer. To this God that he feels drawn to. That my friend. Is why God sent Philip out into the desert because there was a searching soul that God cared for. Verse 28 says, And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. He had purchased a copy of the scroll of Isaiah. These were rare and they were expensive. And yet he's reading it. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. 
The Spirit of God said to Philip, you see that chariot? Get there. Go to that chariot. And there again, Philip is listening for the leading of the Lord in his life. And he is obedient to do what God is calling him to do. I believe there are going to be divine appointments in your life where God puts you at the right place at the right time with the right person. And the Spirit of God is going to nudge you to say, here's the opportunity I'm giving you to introduce this person to Jesus. Listen with care by listening to the leading of the Lord in your life. But also, secondly, listen for signs that God is at work in another person's life. So while you're listening for the leading of the Lord in your life, secondly, listen for signs that the Lord is at work in a person's life. Listen for how God may be at work in their heart. How God may be at work in their circumstances. How God may be putting a a felt need in their heart and they're looking for an answer. Or how maybe they've got a question about the way the world works and they can't make sense of what's going on in our world. Or maybe they're reading the Bible. Or maybe they've heard something about Jesus and they're just trying to make sense of it listen for signs that God is at work in a person's life we continue in verse 30 it says so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked do you understand what you're reading now that's just a simple question he's running alongside this chariot he hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading the Hebrew, out loud. Well, actually, he'd be reading it that way. It's a whole, you'll get that on the way home. But Philip realizes, this is my chance. This is an open door. I can now turn this conversation to the gospel, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question and then listen. I'm going to ask a question, and I'm going to listen for the answer. And so he tactfully and politely, and politely asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? Here's the response, verse 31. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? The Ethiopian is saying, I'm not a Jew. I'm not of the Hebrew people. I'm not a scholar. I haven't gone to the best schools of the rabbis. How am I going to understand this unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Hey, You want to join me and help me understand this? I've been looking for answers. I've been hoping someone would come into my life to guide me. Not to preach at me. Not to force me. Not to belittle me. Not to judge me. Not to ostracize me. Just to guide me. I've been looking for someone. Why don't you come up on the chariot and sit with me? Verse 32. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Quote, Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Verse 33, in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. That's what he was reading. That was the part of the scroll of Isaiah that he was reading. Now in that day... The Old Testament was not divided up into chapters and verses. Chapter 1, verse 1. It was just written one line and one sentence after the other. 
with little punctuation between them. This guy's trying to read this. He's trying to make sense of it. And some would say, and just coincidentally, when Philip heard him reading, he was reading what we would call Isaiah chapter 53. The very section of the prophet Isaiah where the prophet says there's going to come one who will be a suffering Savior. He will be wounded for our transgressions. He will be bruised. He will die. That's what this Ethiopian is reading. That this suffering servant, just like a sheep, is silent whenever the, the shepherd is leading it to be sheared. So Jesus was silent, did not protest, did not fight back when he was led to crucifixion. And he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Jesus was arrested wrongfully. He was accused wrongfully of blasphemy. He was taken from one sham trial after the next. Even the Roman governor Pilate had to acknowledge, I can find no fault in this man. Jesus' justice was taken from him. And the prophet says, who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He will suffer and he will die. But he will also go back to the Father in heaven and be taken from this earth. The Ethiopian eunuch has no clue what this is about. Philip knows exactly what Isaiah 53 is talking about. Verse 34, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Is, is Isaiah saying this is what's going to happen to me as a prophet of God? Or is Isaiah referring to someone else going through this humiliation and this suffering and this death? Who's this about? doesn't take any spiritual discernment to see an open door to share Jesus. And that is exactly what Philip does. And that's our third point this morning. Not only do you listen for the leading of the Lord in your life, not only should you listen for how God's Spirit is at work in someone else's life, but thirdly, listen for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Listen for those opportunities. Wait for them. Lean in and look for that moment that God has given you to say a good word about Jesus, to explain something about Jesus, to make it easier for a person to know who Jesus is. That's what it means to be a faithful witness. You don't have to have all the answers. No one has all the answers. No one fully understands this book. All you need to do is listen for the question and point the person to Jesus that's what Philip does, verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. He met the Ethiopian eunuch where he was physically and literally, but also met him where he was with his questions and the connection of his question to scripture. And he pointed him to Jesus. Beginning with that very scripture, he started expounding to him what the scripture meant and what it 
means for us now that Jesus has come. By the way, this is a biblical pattern. It's why I do what I do whenever I get up to talk to you on Sunday mornings. Have you ever noticed I'm like a broken record? We open up a scripture passage in the Bible and we look at it in its context and we understand what it meant, who wrote it, and then we say, what does this mean for us today in light of Jesus Christ? That's what I'm doing. I'm just following the example of Philip here. And so he, he tells him about Jesus. And listen, we must do the same thing. And don't neglect using the Scripture to point people to Jesus. The Scriptures are the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, according to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. There are a lot of people who say they're trying to witness, but they never share the Scriptures. The Scripture is your authority. The scripture is your power. The scripture is your answer. Otherwise, you're just sharing your opinion and somebody else has their opinion. But we need to help people understand the scriptural testimony of Jesus Christ. It's why you ought to know your Bible. It's why you need to understand Jesus and how to share the gospel of Jesus. And what does Philip do in sharing the good news of Jesus? He shares with him why the suffering servant had to suffer. He wasn't suffering for himself. It was for our transgressions that he suffered. It was for our iniquities that he was bruised and chastised. Literally, in the Hebrew, pierced through. The suffering servant was suffering for someone else. For you and for me. And this one who suffered was Jesus. And the, Philip says to the Ethiopian, I'm sure, this is why Jesus went to a cross, and he died. He died as the Son of God, as the Messiah, taking our sin upon his own body on the cross. It should have been us who was punished for our iniquities, our sin, our rebellion against God. But God in love sent a substitute for us. He sent his Son, Jesus. And Jesus died as a willing volunteer, for you and for me. But this Jesus also rose from the dead and has now gone back to the Father in heaven. We saw him physically alive. I'm not telling you what somebody told me. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you, Philip says, this is what happened to Jesus. And this is what the prophet said would happen, that he would be taken out of this earth. And that's what happened. Jesus has fulfilled the promises. And whoever places their faith in Jesus, their sins are forgiven, and they're given eternal life. And people get baptized as a testimony of the death of Jesus, of his burial in a tomb, and of his resurrection out of that tomb. We go around doing this baptism thing, not because it saves us, but because it shows our faith in the one who saves us. That we've placed our confidence in the crucified, buried, and resurrected Savior. This is what Philip tells him. He tells him the good news. You say, well, I just don't know enough, Ricky, to tell people the good news of Jesus. Do you know John 3.16? If you've come to this church, you do. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned in their sin, 
But whoever does not believe in Jesus is condemned already. Turn and place your faith in Jesus, the one who died for you, was buried, who rose from the dead. He's ready to forgive you of your sin. He's ready to give you eternal life. If you know 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, you know enough to share the gospel of Jesus. Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures. Oh, and by the way, he was seen by over 500 people alive. And if you'll put your faith in this resurrected Savior, you can have a resurrected life that will never end. That's what he's teaching And then you just leave the results to God. The fourth point, just leave the results to God. You can't save a person. You can't make a person believe. But you can share the gospel and trust God and his Holy Spirit to do the rest. Verse 36, as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? This guy's ready. He's put his faith in Christ. And he's put the dots together. You said people who put their faith in Jesus should be baptized as a testimony of their faith. Here's water. I'm ready. Now some manuscripts add all or most of verse 37 and then some leave them out because verse 37 is not in the oldest manuscripts of the Greek New Testament. But um, it says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The New Testament pattern of baptism is consistently and clearly, always in this pattern. A person hears the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They repent of their sin and put their faith in Christ. Then they are baptized by immersion under the water and out of the water as a symbol of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what happens to this guy. He commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Verse 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Bottom line is God can do extraordinary things through ordinary people who will listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We don't know what happens to the Ethiopian eunuch after this, after he comes to faith in Jesus. Church tradition tells us that he went home to his people and became the first witness of the good news of Jesus Christ to his own people and led many of his own people to faith in Jesus Christ. And church history shows us that from the first century all the way down to our present day 21st century in this very region, there are a group of Christians who trace their lineage back to this Ethiopian eunuch. God had something big on his heart. And all the changes that we've asked you to make as a church, it may not make sense to you now, but I believe one day we're going to get to heaven and God's going to point out the people who were led to faith and reached for Christ all over the world and in this community because you guys were willing to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you didn't realize it, but God was up to something big. There's so much more I wanted to say, but time has escaped me. 
Where does the time go? Y'all got to listen faster. <laughs> but who is that one that you will be used of God to reach? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the stillness of this moment, we thank you for this reminder that when we want to bless others by introducing them to Jesus, we should begin with prayer, but we should also listen with care. Listen to the leading of your Holy Spirit. Listen to how you are at work in another person's life. Maybe a pain they have or a problem. Maybe a question they have. Maybe a struggle they're facing. Maybe a fear that is haunting them. Maybe an exciting thing that is happening to them. But help us to be sensitive to listen to how you are at work in another person's life. And then help us to listen for how we can share the good news of Jesus in just the right moment that will help make it easier for that person to put their faith in Jesus. And help us to then leave the results to you because only you can say. But you have sovereignly chosen to use us in your great purpose of introducing others to Jesus. And God, we're humbled to be a part of your plan. God, there could be somebody here in this room who is not yet a follower of Jesus, but today they want to be one. May they do like this Ethiopian did. May they turn from their sin, place their faith, their confidence in Jesus, and then go public with their faith through baptism. God will rejoice in that. In fact, God, there could be people who have already trusted Christ as their Savior, but they've never followed Jesus in believers' baptism. God, maybe the application for them today is to take that next step, to go to the website and to fill out the little form that says, I want to be baptized. And I want to be obedient to Jesus. I don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. I want to show people my faith in the, bar the crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus and how that he has given me a new life eternal life. God, whatever it is, have your perfect will and way in all of our lives. And with your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, maybe today you need someone to talk to you like the Ethiopian eunuch needed someone to talk to him. I'm going to meet you right here at the front today, right after this service is over. As soon as your legs straighten up, why don't you make your way down to the front? Our church members will give me a few minutes to talk to you. I'm here to answer your questions, pray for you, or lead you to faith in Jesus if you need that. Whatever you need to do, do it right now. Father, we, we commit ourselves to you to be obedient in this moment to what you're telling us we need to do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.